either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Not an overloaded schedule this weekend, but certainly one big one we've been waiting on for a while. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We are from MadWolf.com, and you know where we're going to start. James Bond has left active service. His piece is short-lived when Felix, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. It's no time to die. We used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. And now they're just floating in the ether. When our secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Oh my God, target enough people. And the people become the weapon. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind, isn't it? Come on, Bond. Where the hell are you? If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to save. I have to finish this. If you're counting, this is Bond movie number five for Daniel Craig. Fifteen years he's been in the role. And this, we've been waiting for, what, two years? Yeah. I think, because of, uh, of course, uh, pandemic and all. It's finally here. It is certainly worthy of the big screen, and I think we both think it's been worth the wait. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, full disclosure, um, I'm not, uh, I was never a James Bond fan. And that's not just like to say, like, I was never a passing fan. I, I absolutely loathed. You were anti-Bond. I hated James Bond. But, he just he just turned my stomach. Everything about those movies turned my stomach. But Skyfall, I think, turned your head. Well, here's the thing. I, I enjoyed Casino Royale. And mm-hmm. I went against my will to see that movie. And <laughs> I did. I enjoyed Casino Royale. And then I had, you know, high hopes for the next several. I think that Skyfall was a magnificent film, no matter what franchise it's in. It is just an absolutely epic, glorious movie. Spectre uh, was a, a letdown. Yeah. So I was really hoping, as you were, that, that that No Time to Die would be a more fitting end cap for Craig. Well, I think how you've come around on the character is a, a very good example of what the the Craig iteration has really tried to do with the character since he took over. I think they've tried to bring it into a more realistic type of world, a more relatable, not-so-parody-ready. Right, right, slightly more real. I mean, Sli- what's going on obviously can't <laughs> yeah. happen, but you're right, it's not yeah. campy. Right, not campy, and dealing with more universal resonant stakes, which yeah. I think it really does here. Agreed. I think it really does. So it's it's a great culmination of the character arc, I think, because... It's just funny that you say that because the character of James Bond does not require a great deal of acting. It really, it never has. And he doesn't learn anything from one adventure to the next. He doesn't have an arc. So that's what I think has been fascinating about this is that he does. With with, with Daniel Craig uh, in the character, he does change. Like, he's an actual film character. Mm -hmm. You know, he does. He learns and he changes and he's a different person you know, from movie to movie to movie, which is what you get in, like, a regular kind of a movie. And I think that that is one of the reasons why, for me, 
all five of these films are better than the other ones, you know? Yeah. And I don't have anything against, like, you know, Pierce Brosnan, but he was the same character beginning to end in every single film, you yeah. know? And, and this, I think, is a fascinating way, because there is an arc. Yeah, and there's a lot of emotion here. It's clear the filmmakers, well, let's start with the director, Kerry Joji Fukunaga. He came to this franchise from, and what's the one that we know him from? Beast of No Nation. Beast of No Nation, right. So it's, I think it's pretty clear everybody involved knew the mission. They know the stakes here. They wanted to make this a fitting capper to this round of James Bond. Mm -hmm. And I think you feel that. They, there's so much talk in the film of legacy, of precious time, of, of love, of, of leaving something behind. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they managed to, like you say, give the character an arc while still providing... There are some fantastic visual sequences. Oh, my God, there are, They're, yes. I mean, the, the opening prologue alone is 26 minutes. And, boy, some gorgeous photography in that. Yeah. Before they, you know, before they get to the opening and the song and everything like that, which they always do. So there's a lot here about honoring the past, but also just going headlong in the future with their own vision. Because... It's not, they don't care about what Bond, the next people that take over, the next actor, the next filmmakers. No, no. They don't care. Like, we're about this one, and we're going to end it the way we see that it, it would have the most depth of feeling, and it feels the most right for what we've been trying to do with this character since Daniel Craig took over. I think they do a good job of that. Uh, like the synopsis says, he comes back in, he was retired, we all knew at the end of Spectre that wasn't going to work out. It does help to have seen Spectre, it really does, because it continues a lot of what was going on mm -hmm. toward the end of that. But uh, he's he's brought back in, basically by the CIA, and that, and that uh, brings up some... Interesting tug of war between the CIA and MI6, mm -hmm. and M, of course, played by Ray Fiennes, and are they working against each other? Are they working to undermine each other? What's going on there? And then there's a brand new 007 agent. Yeah, yeah, and she's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit too bad that, you know... She's not going to carry this on. I mean, I thought that she was she was pretty fun. Yeah, Lashana Lynch, who was so good as Captain Marvel's best friend yeah. in the Captain Marvel movie, she is very good, and 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 it brings in humor too. Uh, one of the screenwriters that uh, got a lot of uh, attention when this was announced was F from the uh, Fleabag show was Phoebe Waller Bridge, and only in the limited knowledge that I have of her work, I think you can see her brand of humor in the script. I think so, too, yeah. And it's welcome. It's not overdone, but there are cheeky little, not only lines, but visual asides, mm -hmm. if you're oh, paying yes. attention. And yeah. I think those are, the, those are the funniest of the gags, for me, yeah. are the ones that are, yeah, the, the visual jokes. Yeah, they, they land pretty well, but it's uh, an adventure that brings in the two. We've got the new villain... Uh, Safin, mysterious Safin, played by Rami Malek. And he shares a, a tragic uh, past with Bond's love, Madeline, played by Leah Sadu, who's back, who's, who's always so good. She is always so, so good. So there's, there's a connection between those two. And then also you've got Christoph Waltz back as Blofeld from the last one. And he's still able to pull some deadly strings, even as he's in maximum security. So you've got two villains as Bond is up against all sorts of things. And then he has a... Uh, uh, one of the things I think that draws in the contrast between how Craig's Bond is different than the others is the brief uh, bit of action he has with a brand new agent, three weeks out of training, Paloma, played by Anna Day Armas. And they have a little fun with Bond's previous 
reputation and the way he interacted with women. I think they have a, a fun, cheeky interaction with that uh, bit of action. I think so, too. And it's one of the things that actually in all five of these films that I have personally uh, enjoyed, which is that they've changed the concept of the Bond girl, which is, I'm not going to lie, from the time I was a very small child, one of the things I hated about the James Bond movies. It hasn't aged well. No, it has not. And and I think that Ana de Armas's character is the most fun that they have at poking fun at that yes, concept yes. of the Bond girl. Very much so. Very much so. And then you've got, well, we mentioned Felix in the synopsis of Brings Bond to the CIA. That's Jeffrey Wright, who's great. And then Always course, great. Ben Wishaw as Q and Naomi Harris, who actually doesn't have a lot to do as Money Penny, which is a shame. It is a shame, because she's pretty great. But they have to decide, Are they once M is sort of adversarial a little bit with uh, the CIA version of Bond, then it's like, well, are Q and Moneypenny going to sit this one out and be neutral? Not bloody likely. <laughs> so uh, it's two hours and 45 minutes worth. But it, it, it goes pretty quickly. It really does. It does. It moves. But I think there's something that's interesting that you brought up about uh, how the conflict is um, more resonant, uh, and and this would have been unintentional. But the what he's what he's battling is uh, tech that that basically uh, you know if you come in contact with somebody uh, could kill them, and and that does feel you know post pandemic or uh, during the pandemic, it does feel uh, like a little bit more important maybe than some of the other storylines have been. Yeah, that's one of the ways that even though you have to suspend disbelief with this super spy sort of thing, it brings in stakes that do feel relatable. Right. Especially now, yeah, yeah that, that has this aim of turning people themselves into weapons yep. and human contact becoming potentially fatal. So all in all, yeah, it's a it's a it's gonna be a emotional Send off, I think, for for true fans of the series, and I think when when we talk to uh, the Schlocketeer here in a few minutes, he's a huge Bond fan. Yes, so he is. He before, came with us to the screening. Yeah. So before we get to uh, his weekly a bh- bit of news, we'll see what he thought. And I already think that he uh, he liked it quite a bit. In fact, I think I saw where he was going to go see it again. Right. At least a few more times. So yeah, I think it's got enough to satisfy the longtime fans and and people like yourself. Who, yeah. Who have not only not been fans, but you were outright anti-Bond. Yep. And I've been, I've been, I wasn't a huge James Bond fan throughout the years. I've seen many of the films, not all of them, but I think I agree with you. I think by far Daniel Craig's films are among the best. I still think Skyfall is the best. Oh, absolutely, uh, without Cas- question. Casino Royale is very good, and I would put this one right there with Casino Royale. I think uh, of the Daniel Craig films, Quantum of Solace and Spectre are disappointments. Yeah. They're they're of the bottom of the five, but you've got three solid, solid very, films. Very, very good. I think we should point out, there are going to be some diehard fans who are not going to be happy with this one. Yeah. Um, for some of the choices that, that they make, but I think that they're bold choices, and mm-hmm. I'm totally behind them. You know, maybe not immediately, but I think if maybe if they see it again and maybe think about it for a while, what they were trying to do um, I, I, I hope they'll maybe come around because, yeah, what like we said before, this Bond is worried about this Bond. Yep. There'll be new filmmakers. There'll be new actors yep. or actresses to yeah. play Bond in 007s. We don't know. We'll get to that when it, it comes. But uh, for right now, this is a very fine send-off to a very fine series of films from Daniel Craig as James Bond. It's no time to die in theaters now. See the big screen version for sure. Next up, the latest from A24. A childless couple, Maria and Ingvar, discover a mysterious newborn on their farm in Iceland. 
The unexpected prospect of family life brings them much joy before ultimately destroying them. This is called Lamb. All right, well, I've already seen one comment uh, from my social media feed today where somebody said they're tired of being suckered in and disappointed by A24. And you brought up, because we like this movie, but you brought up a good point. It's about the trailers. So many people end up expecting something that's different than what they get. Yeah, I think that's exactly true. And I think, on the one hand, I think the trailers are almost always exceptional. But if you're selling a film that they're not, people aren't going to go see... People are going to be disappointed in the film they see. And the, the, the trailer does, as sometimes happens with A24 films, the trailer does really sell a horror movie. And this movie is barely a horror film. Right, it's, it's really creepy. It's a creepy, but it's a fable. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. folktale, really, kind of a movie. It's beautifully shot. It is. And like a like a picture book, it tells mostly what it's going to tell you visually. There's, I, I, we were saying earlier, I, I don't think I don't think there's any dialogue for the first ten or fifteen minutes of the film. And when when there is, this is a foreign language film. Yeah, it's it's Icelandic. But the other thing is that what they say doesn't really matter. It's it's one of those films, one of those rare films that doesn't waste one word on exposition. No. That you you don't ever have one of those convenient characters who's going to doesn't understand what's happening and so has to have it explained to them, which is a device for, of course, the filmmaker to explain it to the audience. This filmmaker expects that you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a particularly complicated story. It's just an unusual one. And it one. answers your questions. In fact, it I does. think when we were watching it, one or the both of us said out loud something, and then, oh, about 30 seconds later, something came visually that answered yep. our question. Yes. And it's this is the debut, right? The debut It's amazing to me, yes. For our co-writer and director, Valdemore Johansson. And it stars Numi Rapace, who actually lived in Iceland. She's not a native, but she lived there as a girl, and so she already knew how to speak Icelandic, which helped. Yeah. Uh, so she stars as the uh, one half of the couple, along with the actor um, Hilmar Gudnason, Ing- Ingvar. And they are on this farm, and they don't seem to have many neighbors <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredibly isolated. Yeah, and one of their sheep gives birth to an unusual... Lamb. Let's put it that way. In fact, we were on TV this morning, and I was about ready to say too much, and you gave me a nudge. I did. I'm like, oh, I better <laughs> shut up. So let's put it that way. And then it becomes, it reminded me a lot of an expanded version of the themes in Eraserhead about the anxieties of parenthood. But I think it doesn't stop there. It speaks to more than that. But early on, once they start taking in this lamb as their own, that's what it starts picking at. Yeah, it's very much got the sensibility of a folktale. You know, and I don't mean like a Disney-fied folktale. You oh, know, no. when when you watch The Little Mermaid on Disney, it is a far cry from the Hans Christian Andersen folktale because the gods of old 
they are not very compassionate. And if what you've done was dumb or wasn't really right, it doesn't matter how much we like you, comeuppance is going to be difficult. And, and that's cruel. really and cruel. cruel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's how this works out. But it's it's such a it's such a gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous movie. And there's not like a wasted moment in it. And one of the things you and I both thought was really startling because it is, you know, it's it's a film that really toes the line between reality and unreality. And they start by being as authentic as possible. Yeah. It's clear that these actors are actually farming this yeah. this sheep and farm. These sheep are giving birth. Yeah. They're actually giving birth. Yeah. Yes. And then, and then they're, they're like clipping their ears. I yeah. mean, they're doing farm work, yeah. real farm work right yeah. in front of you. And it's a stunning, beautiful, rustic, sort of very isolated life that they live. And it tells you so much about who they are and what they do. And then you've settled into this world so that then when these things that are not real, very fantastical happen. Somehow they feel like they fit. Yeah. And there is a little bit of blood. Um, there's not a lot of action. This is this is meditative. So just, uh, we liked it a lot. We recommend, I loved it. We, we recommend it, but don't go into it thinking it's going to be this this slam bang horror film. There are it, no, there are no jump scares. There are no jump scares. That is not what this is. No. But uh, if you're in for those sort of creepy psychological type that that I love and we love mm-hmm. uh, so often that that A twenty four. That's what a lot of people don't like about A twenty four. So yeah. if it's not your bag, stay far away from this one. But we really liked Lamb, and it's in theaters now. Hey, how about the Muppets? Who doesn't love the Muppets? On Halloween night, Gonzo is challenged to spend one night in the Haunted Mansion. It's the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Happy Halloween. This place is really haunted. <laughs> Fiends, omens, and bogeymen. Lend me your fear. It's showtime. Usually I'm worried about dying up here, but it looks like you beat me to it. <laughs> Don't you have anything better to do than boo me? <laughs> Tough room. Indoor lightning. If by sunrise you fail this endeavor, then you must remain here forever. I'm out of here! This one is on Disney+. Plus. It's less than an hour, so if you have some kids ready for some family fun around Halloween, this will fit the bill. It's not nearly as funny. Last it was last Christmas, mm-hmm. right? Disney Plus gave us the, uh, ho- the uh, Star Wars Lego holiday special, which was hilarious. <laughs> uh, this is not, but it's fun, especially if you have great memories, as we do, of not only the theme park ride, but for you, the book. That's right, because you, when you were young, you went to Disney World a lot. Yeah. I didn't. We were poor, but... I don't don't hate me as some little Lord (laughs) Fauntleroy. We went a couple of times. But we had the book of the Haunted Mansion, and it was one of those that came with a little 45 in it Mm -hmm. that we would play on our Scooby-Doo, you know, fold-open record player. And uh, I loved that book so much. It was my favorite book as a kid. You know, we listened to it and read it hundreds of times. And could quote it, uh, just like driving in the car with our parents. I'm sure they love that. That's all we did was quote this book. Madame Leota is waiting for us. So, well, now um, it's Madame Pigota. It is Madame Pigota. But, I mean, it's a perfect concept. You know, Disney has this uh, this way of just turning theme park rides into movies, which shouldn't work. And it's worked for them pretty well so far. But the idea of, of making it a Muppet movie, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And all of the Muppets are in it, although they're mainly all cameos, aside from Gonzo the Great and Pepe, which, you know, from the, for like King the Prong. 
that for the old school Muppet fans, you you, you may not know him. He, they didn't add him until like the two thousands. Yeah. But he's a funny character. I like. Yeah, he is. He's a king prawn. And you get and he get he falls for as you would Taraji P Henson, Taraji who's got a pretty P good. She's got one, a pretty good character. One of the recognizable. Some are straight up cameos. Yeah. And some are guest star. Will Arnett has a pretty big. He's yeah. The, he's the narrator. He's the guide mm-hmm. through the haunted mansion. Then you get a, a there's a quick Ed Asner. Yeah, a that cameo. was nice. There's a Danny Trejo. Mm-hmm. There's uh, John Stamos. John Stamos, Pat Sajak, just you want to be looking Craig around. Craig Robinson. Yeah, you want to be looking around at things. So is it is it hilarious? No, it's not. But it's cute, and especially if you have some nostalgia for the ride and for the theme park and for some family-friendly, silly scares, ghosty things for Halloween. This will fit the bill. Like I said, it's less than an hour, and if you got Disney+, Plus, that'll be just fine for Muppets Haunted Mansion. Next up is the latest in the VHS series. A police SWAT team investigates a mysterious VHS tape, and discovers a sinister cult that is pre-recorded material which uncovers a nightmarish conspiracy. This is VHS 94. turns your vegetables into a tasty, mm, mouth-watering paste. This one's on Shudder, and one of the reasons we were most excited to watch this one is because Jennifer Reeder, one of our favorite filmmakers who happens to be from Columbus, Ohio originally, wrote and directed the wraparound for these yeah. for this anthology. Her segment is called Holy Hell, and then we knew that going in, but mm-hmm. then once we started watching one of the other segments, Storm Drain, is set in Columbus. Yeah, which yeah, so like, which oh, we didn't okay. expect. We it did was kind of fun, that. yeah. Yeah, so you've got different filmmakers all taking a segment. Uh, Simon Barrett does one. Um, we, we mentioned Jennifer Reeder, also Chloe Acuna. She's got the storm drain, which we liked. Also, Timo Tajahanto. I know I butchered that, and I'm sorry. He did the, the subject, mm-hmm. which is a, a real Frankenstein meets Tetsuo kind of thing. Uh, so there, there are things here to like. I don't think any of the segments end up really fully grasping the potential some go on too long. Most of them do. Most yeah. of them feel like if they could have trimmed a couple of yeah. minutes, it would have been stronger. But there are certainly examples of good camera work. There's there's a lot of, uh, in one of them, Empty Wake. There's a nice peekaboo with light and dark mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and a decent jump scare there. So, yeah, there, if you have Shutter, this is certainly a step up in the VHS series from the last one, I think, Viral. Yeah, I did not like that, disappointment. yeah. This one is definitely better than that, and it gets gory. It does. It does get gory. Not all of the effects in all of the segments are great, but some are pretty uh, are, are pretty solid. And then one of them, it is the subject, I think. The opening of the subject is great. Yeah, it yeah. is. It, the opening the first, is so great. But it it definitely goes on too long, and then it becomes a real first-person shooter point of view, which, you know, we're not into that, so I really have no love for that sort of thing at all. Uh, gamers might appreciate that more. But if you're but if you're a fan of the, of of Timur's, uh films, oh, yeah. they yeah. it's very reminiscent. Very much so. So it's solid. It's not great. I think there's just some unrealized potential here. Some of the acting is a little suspect yeah. at times, and and I think the end maybe gets a little tidy. 
uh, about uh, what the, and, and what you pointed out too. Even though it's set in 1994, which is a great way to get around things like smartphones, there's nothing really that screams 1994 about it. In, in fact, some of the slang terms they use seem a little anachronistic. Well, as well as the style, because uh, it's it's essentially found footage, which was not the style yeah. of film in 1994. Uh, it didn't even sort of begin until 99, and it didn't become popular until the 2000s. But they do some fun stuff with things being taped over, like old commercials mm -hmm. and things like that, so there's some filters in there. So yeah, there's some Halloween fun to be had. If you have Shutter. it's VHS 94. Got another foreign film up next, based on the video game of the same name. This takes place in 1962 Taiwan, where they are at war with mainland China. And therefore, reading prohibited books could lead to death or jail time. And two students are trapped in the school, hunted by a lantern specter. They have to fight for their lives and find out the truth as to why they are trapped in Greenwood High School. This is called Detention. <laughs> This is one that was reviewed for us on Mad Wolf by Christy Robb, who loved it. Loved it. She likes spooky season like the rest of us, uh -huh. and she thought that this was just a really great, it's, got, it's a ghost, ghost, ghost story style film. It comes in chapters. Each chapter is really riveting. It's very, very spooky and also very savvy. So it's a great one to check out, and you can see it in theaters. Yeah, and actually, and it's got some great historical social commentary going on as well. So, uh, yeah, this one is in theaters. Recommended. You can find Christie's full review at madwolf.com. It's called Detention. And one more for spooky season. A woman leaves a psychiatric ward after a nervous breakdown, only to start hearing mysterious knocking sounds in her apartment. It's called Knocking. This is another foreign-language film in theaters based on a novel reviewed for us at MadWolf.com by Rachel Willis. And she found it really creepy and pretty effective. It's just this knocking will not stop. One of the things that I think she thought was so effective about it was that, you know, usually when you have a character in a horror film who's um, uh, mentally challenged, has, has some mental health issues, they're the scary person. This movie, she is the uh, point of view character. Mm -hmm. So you're not the person who's afraid of what this character is going to do. You are this person. And that's a very, very different perspective. And what is happening is she hears this knocking and no one believes her. She doesn't know if she's right or wrong, but the fact that no one will help her is terrifying for you to be in that position. Yeah. The performances are great. The direction is very, very interesting. And uh, and it's a and it's a weirdly shot film would be cool to see on a big screen. Yeah, so it's in theaters now called Knocking, another good one for the Halloween season. Okay, I believe it's time to head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. We are back in the lobby checking in with Daniel Baldwin, aka the Schlocketeer, and before we get to the news of the week, uh, we mentioned earlier that you are a huge James Bond fan of the entire franchise. And you actually went with us to uh, see this one, No Time to Die. And we wanted to get your thoughts. I'm, I'm pretty sure you liked it. Oh, yes. I loved it. The Daniel Craig era has had some ups and downs, but 
I had been hoping all along that he would go out on a high note, and I think he did. I don't want to call it better than Casino Royale and Skyfall, but I think it's right up there with both of them. Wow, you you must have been listening, because that's exactly what we said. (laughs) That's exactly what we said, but yeah. So what jumped out at you? Well, to get on the nerdier side of things, this one, um, of course, they've always... Even since they stopped outright adapting the Fleming books, they've always gone back and cherry-picked moments from each of them that they haven't used yet. And this one pulled a good bit from the You Only Live Twice novel, a bunch of stuff that wasn't in you know, the old Sean Connery film from 1967. So I love seeing that stuff mixed in. I love seeing older elements from stuff that they had adapted before also remixed in a new way. And I think they just did a wonderful job of wrapping everything up both narratively and thematically from, you know, this entire five film run from Casino Royale until now. And I think uh, it might be Daniel Craig's best performance in the role. And I think everyone else is absolutely excellent in it. The direction was excellent. It was beautifully shot. The score was awesome. I mean, I honestly loved every last bit of it. Yeah, that's one thing we forgot to mention in talking about the score. The score was, it's a little bit of a throwback, but so you like, it's, sort of honored the past, but like the entire movie, I think, looked into the future. Yeah, it did. And I'm glad that you brought up his performance because it's it's so odd to me specifically to be talking about acting in terms of the James Bond role. But the truth is, I, I agree with you. I think he was so great. And I think in, in earlier films, he showed a vulnerable side that we didn't see in, in the old, you know, Bond movies. But in this one... There's more to it. I mean, he's like wizened and he's he's, you know, a little bit soft and sad and there's longing there and a lot more humor. I really I agree with you. I thought his performance was incredible. Yeah, it, it was. And he he's lucky in the regard that he's gotten to play out an entire arc because they, they have done multi-film stories to a degree in the past but it's always been chopped up. You know, the original Spectre arc from the 60s and 70s was busted up between Connery, Lazenby, and Moore just out of sheer necessity. And so any time an actor has been able to show vulnerability in the past, it's only usually been about one film at a time, and then either the role's been recast or they've just pivoted to a different tone for the next one. So he's really lucky in that regard that he got to play an entire full arc Across five films, even if some of them aren't as good as the rest, you know, when when no one else has been able to do that or in the past, and maybe not even again in the future. So he's done five. How many did Roger Moore do? Roger Moore did seven. Okay, well, Connery so- did six official ones, and then he did that Thunderball remake. Oh yeah, again. yeah, that's yeah. right. So how long do you think they'll wait before they announce uh, where they're going next? Oh, uh, you want a prediction? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Quick. On this front, I think normally I would have, in the past, I would have said they would probably wait a few years, but there's two big things coming up. One, for better or worse, Ian Fleming's works fall into the public domain at the end of 2034. So uh-huh. this is going to be the ne- the last run that they have no competition from anyone Whoa, else. Oh, that's Come a good, 20, that, that's a major yeah. point. So that's going to probably uh, pump the gas a little bit on it. Plus, October of next year is the franchise's 60th anniversary. So I wouldn't be too shocked, especially since they've had the downtime from the pandemic, the extra year and a half of delays. I wouldn't be too shocked if they announce the next actor a year from now. All right. We'll hold you to it. Well, 
Three big, uh, <laughs> three big recommendations yep. here from all of us, and see it on the big screen because it is worthy uh, for no time to die. All right, looking ahead for this week, you got dates. What do you got? I've got some dates. I've got some delays, but nothing, nothing catastrophic. Well, to a degree, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> Paramount previously pulled Clifford the Big Red Dog from its theatrical release in, I think it was set for September originally. But they will now release it day and date in theaters and on Paramount Plus on November 10th. So that one's back on the schedule okay. for you, for better or worse. <laughs> MGM and Universal is releasing Joe Wright's musical drama Serrano in theaters on December 31st. Um, getting a little bit back into Bond territory, the World War II historical spy drama Operation Mincemeat is hitting theaters in the UK on January 7th, and then will hit Netflix later in that month in the U.S. And that's, well, it looks interesting in general, but partially of interest because Ian Fleming himself was a part of that operation in World War II. Uh, okay. So he oh, is yeah. a character in the film. Interesting. Now, back to the uh, catastrophic delays. Of course, Sony sold Hotel Transylvania 4 to Amazon back in August. Now, the assumption all along was that it would retain its October 1st release date and just show up on Prime then instead of in theaters. We never heard anything that would, you know, say that wouldn't happen, but obviously October 1st came and went, and Hotel Transylvania 4 is not here. Now, apparently, over the weekend, Amazon was barraged, or their customer service at least, with complaints from parents uh, pretty much about upset children who thought they were going to get to watch Hotel Transylvania 4 on October 1st, and it didn't happen. So they were putting out fires on social media for days. And apparently the reason why is Sony forgot to give them the movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new thing that's happening now. Um, (laughs) But they have announced that it will now be released on January 14th, which is pretty far out from the Halloween season, but I guess better late than never. I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Couldn't they have just said dog ate my homework or something? (laughs) Oh, my. And then we have another small delay. Scott Derrickson's made a new horror film with Ethan Hawke for Blumhouse, and it's called The Black Stone, and it's been pushed back from January 28th to February 4th. February 4th, we'll also see the release of Roland Emmerich's insane disaster opus, Moonfall, where the moon literally falls towards Earth. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen the trailer for it? I have not. It is just as ridiculous as it sounds. Okay. Sounds like a Roland Emmerich film. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, February 11th will bring us a horror film from Lionsgate called The Devil's Light from West Exorcism director Daniel Stamm. And we'll also be getting Liam Neeson's next action for their Black Light on that same day. And then Warner Brothers has set Fantastic Beasts 3, The Secrets of Dumbledore, for an April 15th release. And then Disney has finally set a new date for the Bob's Burgers movie that will arrive in theaters on May 27th. And unless something else gets delayed, that will be the final pre-merger Fox film that has, they still have to release outside of the ever-delayed Avatar sequels. And the only other thing I have for you is that Warner Brothers has set Olivia Wilde's uh, second feature film, which is a thriller called Don't Worry, Darling, for theatrical release on September 23rd of next year. Okay, yeah, she did Book Smart, was her first, which uh, was definitely worthwhile and uh, showed her to be a director to watch. So, yeah, that should be interesting, going in a totally different direction. 
So speaking of interesting news, did you guys see the casting decisions made for the new Hellraiser film? Yes. Uh, Jamie Clayton, correct? Yes. uh, Yeah, I I knew about it because I saw that my every time I got on the Internet, it was on fire (laughs) from all the people butthurt about this casting. Yes. uh, Jamie Clayton is a trans actress who I believe was on the uh, Wachowski's Netflix show Since 8, and then I guess the recent revival of The L Word. Oh, yeah, right, right. She has been cast as Pinhead in... David Bruckner's new Hellraiser movie, which will, funny enough, be hitting Hulu next year. And it's already been shot, which is also a nice surprise. Yeah, we're excited about it. And it's an interesting thing because, so first of all, Hellraiser is one of the few horror films that George likes even better than I do. He loves that movie. Yeah. And we were excited about Bruckner directing because we really enjoyed The Night House mm-hmm. and thought, okay, Good well, that's God. an interesting pairing. Yes. And now, you know, to, to this, I think that this casting is outstanding, like in every conceivable way. And I know a lot of people who are huge fans of the 1980s film are probably, and, and, you know, Doug Bradley was great as Pinhead. He was a great Pinhead. But the, the, the source material um, it's it's an androgynous uh, demon. It's not a, a male demon. And of course, Clive Barker, the writer, um, is an a, an openly gay uh, writer. So I think that this is a, a really good idea that maybe they should have done all along. Uh, I do too. I think it's a fantastic way to relaunch the franchise. Apparently, it's I don't know how modernized it would be, but apparently, it's more of a readaptation of the original novella, The Hellbound Heart, than it is an outright remake. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're going to go back and redo Hellraiser, this is the way to go. Yeah. But you know, by by casting the role with a trans woman, no matter how you make the character look or how she portrays the part. It's a great way to immediately differentiate things from Doug Bradley and not fall into the traps of, you know, the last couple direct-to-video cheapy Hellraiser sequels have had actors other than Doug Bradley playing it, and that's the big complaint that fans have had about those films. Yeah. Yeah, and if it turns out to be good, bad, or indifferent, this direction that they're going will in no way impact how much you like the original one. No, exactly. It's not going to ruin anything. Nope, it's not. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And even if it doesn't turn out well, I'd say odds are pretty high that it's going to be better than most of the direct-to-video sequels. No question. I would, <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's a darn good bet. So, all right, great stuff. Let you go watch No Time to Die again. <laughs> hey, don't tempt me. All right, well, we are, we are off next week. We'll talk to you in a couple. All righty. All right, looking ahead to next week. Well, we are going to be off. We're going to be in L.A. all next week. But I know there's a couple of big movies coming out, Halloween Kills Mm -hmm. and The Last Duel. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be reviewing those movies. But to check them out on the main website at madwolf.com, we'll have written reviews of both of those and many more. And we'll also have, of course, those posted on our Facebook page at Mad Wolf Columbus. You can find us on uh, Twitter as well. We always post the reviews there. At Mad Wolf. And on Instagram, if you want to check us out, that's Mad Wolf Columbus as well. So we'll still be covering those movies, just not here on the screening room. We'll be back in two weeks when we can get into the studio. Sounds good. All right. So until then, keep in touch if you can. We always love to keep the conversation going. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See you in a couple weeks. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.